I invested my own signing bonus and you just kind of fall in love and you navigate it as you go. I have an oboe surgery in the minor leagues where I'm looking like I may not play baseball ever again. And I start pursuing kind of a, a backup plan, right? I get my series seven, my 66, which makes me a licensed stockbroker. And I just kind of start pursuing that while I'm also getting healthy. And now uh, that was 2014. So now, gosh, seven years later, man, I'm that guy. Like every announcer, whether I'm on the road or at home, they're like, Ross Stripling coming in to pitch the licensed stockbroker kind of stuff. You know, it's just, it's what I'm known for. The Pathfinder podcast is presented to you by Onserato. Onserato is the modern deal and virtual data room technology designed to make M&A, capital raising, divestments, restructures, and IPOs as simple as possible. Since 2005, Ansarada has been trusted in over 24,000 transactions and powered over 1 trillion worth of deals. Ansarada is a secure space that includes workflow tools, AI-powered data rooms, built-in question and answer and integration frameworks. It's the data room trusted by modern dealmakers. You can start for free today at Ansarada.com. You know I like a winning team, so say it with me, Ansarada.com for your next winning outcome. Welcome to The Pathfinders, the modern dealmaker series brought to you by Ansarada. Now here's your host, Dahani Jones. Welcome back to The Pathfinders, presented by Ansarada. I'm former NFL player, investor, and entrepreneur, Dahani Jones, and today we've got another home run of an episode for you. In case this is your first time, you've heard The Pathfinders. Here we talk to the people who are transforming, innovating, Shaking hands and carving paths forward. Our guest today is Toronto Blue Jays pitcher and no stranger to deal-making himself, Ross Stripling. In addition to pitching for the LA Dodgers and now the Toronto Blue Jays, Ross is also a certified stockbroker and financial advisor. In today's discussion, we'll get into the deal-making lessons he's learned from professional baseball and how he keeps a deal-making mentality on and off the diamond. Ross, I must say, number one, welcome to the show. So excited that you're here. And just like full board and full transparency, you know, being a a National League all-star and at the same time being a financial advisor, you know, that just in my mind just blows up this whole notion that an athlete can't be more than just, you know, a player, right? A lot of people just say that, you know, the whole conversation around LeBron James, just shut up and dribble. (laughs) You know, I remember when I was playing, everybody was like, look, just focus on playing the game. You know, we don't want you to do anything else. And you just completely just said, look, I'm going to not only throw the ball, I'm not only going to strike people out, I'm not only going to become the best, but I'm also going to help people make money while at the same time I'm going to make money and I'm going to do it both on and off the field. I mean, just walk me through in your mind when someone says that, how that makes you feel. Yeah, well put, man. Well, first off, thanks for having me, Dahani. I'm a lifelong Cowboys fan, so I've I've watched you run around the NFCs tackling my Cowboys for a long time, man. So this, <laughs> this is a lot of fun being here. You know, to I guess to answer that question, man, is is just um, I was passionate about it, man, and, and I got a finance degree from Texas A&M. Both my grandparents, my grandfathers, were very active in the market, so I got started on the stock market at a young age. And you know, I wasn't a super high draft pick; I was a senior sign, but I got a little bit of money out of the draft, and I just started tinkering around in the market. I invested my own signing bonus and you, you just kind of fall in love and you navigate it as you go. I have an oboe surgery in the minor leagues where I'm looking like I may not play baseball ever again. Mm. And I start pursuing kind of a, a backup plan, right? I get my series seven, my 66, which makes me a licensed stockbroker. And I just 
kind of start pursuing that while I'm also getting healthy. And now uh, that was 2014. So now, gosh, seven years later, man, I'm that guy. Like every announcer, whether I'm on the road or at home, they're like, Ross Stripling coming into pitch, the licensed stockbroker kind of stuff. You know, it's just, it's what I'm known for. And it's a blast. I love it. I love being known. I think I'm, I don't know this for sure, but I do think I'm the only major athlete that is a licensed money manager and an active, you know, major athlete. So it's a cool little thing to be known for. It has to be interesting. You're, you know, you're in the dugout and people are asking you for stock tips or maybe you're out on the mountain and people just like walking up to you. And I, I, I know you guys have these conversations because, you know, I play football, so it's a little bit different. You all don't necessarily have like a huddle like we do, but there's definitely a gathering. I'm just wondering in those gatherings, are you talking about like, you know, oh man, Amazon was up <laughs> a little bit. I, I kind of like that one or, you know, like, mm, you know, how, how are you all, how are you all feeling about a uh, rocket yeah, mortgage? Yeah. You know, like do those conversations definitely take place? A hundred percent. So it's not like, you know, it's not like my catcher's Austin Barnes and I'm in the middle of trying to get Nolan Arenado out and he's coming out and being like, Hey man, what was Amazon doing today? Like in the, in the field of battle, that's not happening. Uh, but as a starting pitcher, you know, I pitch and I get four or five days off where I'm in the dugout, my work's done for the day. And now I'm just kind of out there being a cheerleader, supporting the team. And that's definitely when those conversations will come up. Cause you got all the time in the world while you're watching a ball game to, to talk about stuff. And I guess without giving the player's name, he was a veteran when I was a rookie. And this is like kind of eye-opening for me about I need to watch what I say. Uh, he's a veteran. He had made a bunch of money and he wanted to dabble in the stock market. And we're just kind of BSing in the dugout one game. And he's like, man, what do you like? And I said, uh, you know, I like stock XYZ, maybe check it out or whatever. And the next day he came in and he had bought almost a half a million dollars worth of shares. And I was like, okay, I got to, I got to like really be careful about what I say. Cause there's some people throwing out some big money against like some of these random stock picks and thrown out. So, uh, I haven't been as willy nilly with my picks since then. I don't think it was random at all. I think he respects, you know, your knowledge. And I think he respects the amount of work that you've put into it. And being that it was so just off the cuff, it was automatic for you, right? It was, it was just like throwing a you know, throwing a fastball and making sure it's like right into the pocket. Yeah. Right. And I think that when you kind of reach that level and that respect ensues, then all of a sudden, you know, life just takes off and just kind of creates a different field of dreams. You know, I really have noticed that since I started, like I got my license 2015, 2016. And at first people don't really take you serious. You know, one, you're an athlete. Two, they think your focus is really baseball or, or whatever, you know, and you kind of got to get over that stereotype. And now I've noticed five years later of kind of being consistent, you know, talking about it on social media, talking about it with teammates. It gets around to other teams where got like a David Price got traded over from Boston. And the first thing he met me, hi, I'm Ross Tripling. Oh, you're the stock market guy. You know, so the word starts getting out there, which is really cool versus at first I noticed I, I really had to kind of get over the hump of people just saying like, oh, you're just, you know, you're just out there. I don't know, either throwing names out left and right or trying to make a name for yourself or whatever it is that people think you're doing. You don't really, what, what could you possibly know versus the six-year-old stockbroker that's been doing it for his career for 30 years? You know, so it, it's been tough to get over that hurdle a little bit, but now five, six years in, I've noticed that people really, you know, they start to listen when I, when I open my mouth about it because I think they are starting to know that I understand it, enjoy it, and really passionate about it. Well, I, I think it's just like the investments that you make you know, if you're a short-term trader, it's a lot different than if you're a long-term investor. And if you're a long-term investor, you know, it takes several years in order to build up that compound interest. With as Einstein say, that's like, that's the eighth wonder of the world. So, yep. you know, it's only appropriate that it would take this amount of time for people to mature around the idea that you are the stockbroker, you know, playing baseball, you know, the pitcher stockbroker and people to have that respect. So your own personal compound interest 
right, is is happening right in front of your eyes. But was baseball always going to be your career? Uh, at what point did you decide that? Man, I'm a, I'm a late bloomer in the baseball world. I uh, I come from a Friday Night Lights football high school in Texas, man. South Lake Carroll. It's in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, if you've ever heard of it. You just eat, sleep, and breathe football in that city from a young age. And I just kind of focused on football and basketball more as a kid. That was just kind of the nature of the beast where I grew up. And I didn't pitch until I was 18, man. I did not pitch a ball off the mound until I was 18 years old. So just kind of a late arrival to pitching and really to baseball in general. Walked on at A&M, didn't get any Division One offers, ended up walking on at Texas A&M, and just kind of got bigger and stronger in college. And anyways, long way to answer your question. I got drafted as a junior and didn't even see it coming. I got drafted in the ninth round, which is fairly high, and and turned it down in a heartbeat, man. I'm like, no, I'm going back to school. Like Baseball was not my number one priority. I, I was a third-generation Aggie. I wanted to get my degree. We had just come off the College World Series. I wanted to go back and play with my teammates again. And I did that, enjoyed every minute of it, don't regret it at all. Got drafted in the fifth round by the Dodgers. And like I told you, when I got hurt, that was 2012 drafted. So 2014, Tommy John, I'm already pursuing another career, right? Which is this finance thing. I'm, I'm already kind of eyes at least 50% set on something else halfway out the door. And uh, really, it took my dad to kind of sit me down and say like, dude, you were just in big league camp. You got hurt piggybacking Clayton Kershaw in a spring training game. Like you're kind of right on the cusp. You can't start putting your eggs in a different basket. You got to really focus on baseball. So that's, you know, I took rehab really, really serious, but also started the finance stuff, really focused on both those things for that year. And uh, really when I came out of that Tommy John, I was motivated as hell, man. I was like, all right, I just, I survived 14 months of rehab. I'm ready to take this to another level. And that's kind of really when I would say like laser focus on baseball, I'm going to try and make it to the big leagues. I had an ACL reconstruction. And I too, while I was, at the University of Michigan, which, by the way, is the greatest university in the world. But I think even amidst that struggle that we we have as a team, you know, I had a struggle when I had my ACL. You had your struggle when you had your Tommy John surgery. How did you teach yourself or rather, what did you learn as you were recovering? Right. Did, what did it teach you about tenacity and, and patience? Right. That might be a little bit, you know, a part of the ingredients of how you operate your life now. Yeah, man, really good question. And and you probably can reiterate some of what I'm going to say. You know, a lot of people say Tommy John is similar to an ACL, you know, for a football player. It, it, at first, you you know the time frame, right? You know you're facing a year before you are back at an elite level. I mean, yet that's just the way it is. Mm. Hundreds and thousands of people have done it before you. You're not, besides Adrian Peterson, you're not going to be the one that comes back in six, eight months, right? It's going to take you a year. So patience is a good word. Mm. Ride the roller coaster, man. You know, around the three, four month mark when I'm starting to play catch, I remember thinking like my elbow, I need surgery again. I'm not ready to throw. Two months later, I'm like, I'm so healthy. Why aren't I facing hitters already? You know, it, it's you ride that wave and, and you kind of never get too high, never get too low, stay even keeled, push through some tough spots and then actually even like take the reins off a little bit when you feel like you're flying high. Tenacity is a good word too that you used and, and kind of what I touched on earlier, man, I was not in love with baseball or at least had not fallen in love with baseball when I had my surgery. And it really put some things into perspective. I think for me that, man, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm fired up about. I see teammates and people around me making it to the big leagues and guys that I think and know that I'm as good as, and I can go do that. And that's where you really, man, like laser focus, tunnel vision, get healthy and get out there and show what you can do because I can do what these guys are doing. Man, it was probably 
maybe the most depressing year of my life as far mm. as like where I was mentally and just grinding, but also some of the most fun I've had, you know, and, and probably maybe the most important year of my life as far as the stepping stone to get me from there to where I am now. And you probably felt some of those same emotions. It's like you wake up one day, like, what the heck am I doing? I could be somewhere else. And then you wake up the next day, like, heck yeah, dude, I'm one day closer. Yeah. Cause well, I mean, look in, in football, our, our contracts aren't guaranteed, but in baseball, you will all have guaranteed contracts, but you know, so there's a financial component to it in your mind, which I'm, I'm sure you kind of spin through, but in a different way than football, because once it's done, it's done. You're not on the field. You're not getting paid that type of deal. Yep. But in football, it's a different climb because there's not double A, there's not triple A because, you know, in, in baseball, there's, you know, although you might have these guaranteed contracts, you don't necessarily have guaranteed playing time. So the mental hurdles that you have to get over as a, as a player now, not necessarily being on the field and wondering if you got to go back down to the minors in order to kind of get all the way back up to the majors. I mean, I'd imagine that's what's probably messing with you more than anything else, because you're like, I'm right here. I'm right here. Now I got to get back on the bus. I don't know if I want to take that trip. Yep. Well, I wasn't even off the bus yet, man. I was still in the minor leagues. So I was a senior sign out of college in my second year of minor league baseball. So I was pulling in 1200 bucks a month for six months out of the year, you know? So that was part of the reason why it was kind of easy for me to maybe start putting one foot out the door because I wasn't making any money. And I had a kind of a, a girlfriend about to be fiance, like kind of thinking I can go start my life and, and build a family. And I'm making 1200 bucks a month. And my wife's a first grade teacher making 30 times more money than me, right? Like, which is unheard of. So yeah, the financial side of it was a frustrating weight to bear for sure. Because I mean, that was a year of my life with a college degree and prospects to go make money where I made about $6,000, right? You know, so that was tough. So what was the moment when you said, all right, I can balance the two. I'm just going to be able to figure this out. I'm going to be able to throw the ball and I'm going to be able to make my picks and I'm going to be really good at both. Good question, man. I would say it wasn't until maybe two years after I had already gotten licensed and basically I'm doing both full time in a way where actually I have clients now. I have people's money and I'm actively managing their money on top of my own and also trying to get Nolan Arenado and JD Martinez and Paul Goldschmidt out, right? I mean, it, that's two really tough things to, <laughs> to juggle right there. And I think I kind of stepped back and organized what I needed to, right? Like baseball is the focus. That's how I'm going to be able to make my money right now and support my family. And it's also what I'm really passionate about right now. And that life will end. The finance stuff will keep going, but the baseball life will end, right? I mean, it's the time is ticking on that. There's no doubt about it. So I kind of, you know, sit back and say, okay, what can I really take on my plate? with a wife and a son on the way and a full-time baseball job and now 14 active accounts that I'm managing, you know, what kind of workload can I really take on? And that's where I basically reached out to every client that I had and said like, look, this is the time that I have to give you. I'm focused on your portfolio and I'm focused on your money and I swear you're in good hands, but I might be playing a game at noon on a Friday and not able to answer your text. And if that's how it is. Here's my boss, Matthew Houston. Please reach out to him. He can do everything I can. You know, so it, it, everyone that I have their money understands that baseball is my priority. But um, I think they also know that I'm there when when they need me and I can take care of them. And, you know, luckily, there's not a lot of things in the finance world that's just like 
Ross, give me this right now. I need 100 shares of stock XYZ. And if you don't give it to me, you're fired. Like that's never happened, right? So luckily I don't have any clients as high maintenance as that, but maybe one day, but for now, I got to juggle pretty well, man. The Pathfinders podcast is presented to you by Ansarada. Ansarada is the modern deal and virtual data room technology designed to make M&A, capital raising, divestments, restructures, and IPOs as simple as possible. Ansarada has just launched Freemium with the world's first online data room quote. Now you can get a free data room and quote in just three clicks and just 15 seconds. There's no need to wait. Get your room open straight away, no matter what stage you're at. Deal marketing, deal preparation, or due diligence. And here's the best bit. Usage fees only start when the deal goes live. All the top M&A firms and investment banks are jumping on it. That's because there is no risk, just reward. Pretty cool, right? Check it out at ensarada.com slash quote. You know I like a winning team, so say it with me. Ensarada.com for your next winning outcome. In addition to not only being a stockbroker and playing baseball, you know, you're also giving out advice and you're learning, you know, from other people and you're teaching other people because you've you've had the podcasts that you've done as well. And you've been able to balance both what you're doing on and off the field and then doing stuff with CNBC and doing stuff with Fox business. I mean, it just seems like the list is endless. But, you know, in, in the world of which I come from, I think about that as like an inherent sort of piece of curiosity. That's one of the most important pieces. And even as you go into the stock market, it's about being curious. It's about diving into the details, market cap, in terms of like how big a business can actually be and, you know, what you feel like what's going to be on the horizon of the company. But it comes from asking the good questions. Is that what drives you to do a couple of these other things, even while you're standing on the top of the pitcher's mound? Yeah, definitely. You know, I imagine that most athletes have kind of that personality, right? Where they want to compete in kind of everything that they do and they're, and they're driven and motivated. I mean, you don't get the highest level of your craft unless you kind of have that personality trait. Similar to you with the podcast right here, you know, you, you have opinions and things that you want to say and an awesome network of people to, to talk to. And you can, you know, bring things and opinions to the world, man, and, and things that are on your mind. And also it keeps you busy and it keeps your mind working, right? Like that's me. That's my personality. I'm always moving almost to a fault, you know, where I probably could be in the moment a little better than I usually am. I feel like even right now, I'm kind of, I know what's next on my to-do list. I need to go and take care of my son when my wife goes and does something she needs to do. And then, you know, like I just, I'm always kind of thinking it's just uh, how I'm wired. So I, I think that trait of mine is is kind of how I ended up with just so much on my plate, man. And I love it. I love staying busy. I'd rather be doing this than sitting around watching Netflix any day uh, or playing video games. I'm not a video gamer, you know, so it's, it's, it's just how I've chosen to kind of navigate through my life so far 30 years in and and I love it. I might wake up one day and be like, dude, I'm just way too busy. I need to take something off, which was kind of the podcast. The podcast got tabled for a while just because, I mean, just in this 10, 20 minute conversation, you can tell I just got a lot on my plate. So, um, you know, focusing more on baseball and the finance stuff and the podcast comes back later. Great. But I think sometimes even when you have a bunch of things, a lot, a lot of people have this outside opinion, like you might be distracted, but in some cases, it's actually, in my mind, satiating a part of your brain that needs to have something to do, yep. right? And so when you piece you know, this amazing puzzle together, the beautiful picture of the beautiful Monet is what your life has been made up to be. And I think that's a wonderful thing. And so, you know, you've also parlayed 
not only playing, not only doing the financial deal into Skyward Financial. So now you're also a partner at a firm. Mm-hmm. Did you help start the firm? Did you join the firm? And as you, you know, you said you had 14 clients. I mean, aspirations, I, I'd imagine, is to build a whole portfolio of, you know, 14, 15, 20, 30, 40 clients. And then once you get done with baseball, that might be the, the thing that you do forever. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, if baseball ended today, that is 100% the first step that I would take is Skyward Financial, man. We're located here in Houston. So my mentor slash boss is a guy named Matthew House and his dad and Matthew so I guess backtrack for a second. His dad invested with my mom's dad, so my grandfather, for like 50 years. So that's where the connection happened. So that's where they got me licensed. They were working for another company at the time. And what's kind of standard in the business is you build a big enough book of clients, you got enough money, you can go start your own firm, right? Not everyone does it. You can go start your own firm and make a little bit more money for yourself, but also feel like you can take a little bit better care of your clients, be a little bit more boutique, not under the umbrella of a big firm. So they went and started their own shop and and asked me to come with them. You know, I'm not necessarily bringing a ton of value. I don't have those 14 clients. That's not $100 million. I promise you that. But, you know, they understand that I have an awesome network around me of guys that I've met in locker rooms and through the podcast and some other things, you know, guys that I can call on after baseball ends and and try get, um, you know, try and get an account and try and, and start the money management business and really get a portfolio going. So, yeah, I'm technically the third co-founder of Skyward Financial. It's it's Lynn and Matthew Houston and then myself. And I'm I'm so glad to be a part of it, man. It, it, it's really uh, kind of two two dreams come true, right? Like I've been able to now make it to the big leagues, obviously one dream and now able to be a part of starting my own company, a financial firm, you know, so at 31, almost 32 years old to be able to accomplish Two of my dreams coming out of business school out of Texas A&M. I mean, that's that's pretty cool. Are there some things that you take from the field, things that you take from being on the mound that you apply to how you think about investing? Yeah, definitely. So I get asked this all the time and and I feel like my answer is ever changing because I feel like I should have some awesome answer to this question since it does get asked pretty often. At the end of the day, I think pitching and investing or let's say pitching and picking a stock are pretty similar, right? You're kind of getting down to the fundamentals. Let's say I'm facing you, Dahani, and and you, you're very aggressive OO. You love the heater OO. Okay, so I'm going to throw you something soft. All right, now I got you OO1. What do you hit against slider? What do you get, hit against fastballs? And what quadrant? What do you hit against changeup? Uh, if I get you to two strikes, what's your swing and miss? Or if there's a man on first, what do I throw you to get a ground ball to possibly get a double play? All these kind of things that I know when I'm facing a hitter, and I'm a numbers guy, right? I mean, I graduated with the finance degree, I love numbers. I love math. So I can absorb a lot of this information. A lot of pitchers want to be out there free and easy. They don't want to know that kind of stuff. I'm the opposite. I think it's like having the answers to a test, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I know exactly what you do against certain pitches and certain counts. I know that. So I'm going to exploit your weaknesses. Picking a stock is the numbers game, man. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously there's different ways to do it. You can go off fundamentals. You can do chart analysis. Uh, you can go with your gut sometimes, you know, but a lot of times it is what's their earnings. What's their revenue? Are they growing? Mm. If they're not growing, why not? Do they have a lot of debt? If they have a lot of debt, what's their cash? Do they have the cash mm. to cover that amount of debt? Do they have a moat around their business? Is there someone that can just come in and do what they do better? Or are they kind of the first ones to do what they're doing in their industry? I mean, there's there's a lot of kind of parallels between them where you can attack them similarly with similar mindsets and I think have success both ways, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. I used to, you know, when when I was playing football, It'd be the same type of thing, except for it'd be 11 different people. 
that you have to be able to kind of yeah. identify what their their habits are, right? You know, obviously you're focusing on the quarterback and what his tendencies might be, you know, if it's if it's third down and four and you know, they're in the middle of the field, they have a higher propensity in order to kind of throw the ball down the field versus like run the ball to the outside. So you might adjust the defense and there's some automatics and things that, you know, get kind of get called. But I think in the in the world of, of picking stocks, especially if you're independent and you're on your own, you're kind of in a little bit of an isolated bubble onto yourself based upon the information that you've absorbed from the analysts and from, you know, some of the the papers that are out there that kind of give you, you know, your opinion. But I'd imagine in the same way, while you're absorbing all this information, there's there's one or two things that you really, really pay close attention to in the same way that, you know, it might be down in distance on the football field. What are those one or two things that you pay attention to that you really boil down to as part of your thesis as to why you might choose, you know, Nike versus Under Armour? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Or a fastball versus a slider. Is there something in there? Right. Something in sort of the game that you look at that might determine one way or the other. Sure. I mean, in baseball, it's, it's usually clear as day, just the numbers, right? What do they hit against fastball? What do they hit against slow stuff? But in the finance world, everyone has different opinions, man. Some people love charts. Some people love fundamentals. Some people love other metrics. For me, a couple things, man. The first thing I love to look at is the CEO. Who is he or she? What's her track record? Did they start with the company? Have they been brought in? What ownership do they have, right? Like, are their interests in line with shareholders? If, if he or she owns less than 1% of the company, she doesn't really care what the stock price is doing, right? Well, let's say this is his baby and he started it and he owns 20% of the company still. He's going to want that stock price to go up, right? And he's going to do what it takes to, to make that thing rise because his wealth is directly driven with the share price. Mm. I love to see that. Secondly, sometimes it's as simple as, man, like, what's the product? Do you believe in it? Can you explain it to a fifth grader if they were to ask? You know, some of these software companies, their stocks are going crazy and rightfully so. That's the way our world's going and it's going digital in a hurry. But I can't even explain what they do. I don't know what they do. And if you were to ask me, I'd be like, yeah, they're they're a $400 stock, but I, I don't know what they do. They do, you know, CRM somewhere in, in the cloud or whatever. Like, I don't understand. And those are the companies I'll kind of stay away from versus some of these others that have products that you really believe in. Like, what do you use every day? Are you watching Marvel movies? Are you watching stuff on on a streaming service? What kind of car do you drive? You know, that kind of stuff. Those are, you know, where you like to start investing and build kind of like a a concrete portfolio of things that you're interested in, that you're going to enjoy following and know a lot about. And then from there, you navigate and get to know more and and build out a portfolio that way. And I know that's a long-winded way to kind of ask or to answer your question, but... um, you know, the, yeah, the two favorite things I love is who's running the show and what is a product. Mm. <laughs> mm. How come other players don't think like you think, or why do you think people don't think this is better? Why do you think people don't think players think like you think? Well, man, there's always the stereotype that we got a free ride to school. We didn't really earn our way into college kind of stuff. And now we, you know, maybe aren't as educated or as intelligent as the common, you know, man or woman that's in the workforce. I, I certainly understand that stereotype. Secondly, most people probably assume we're just laser focused on our craft, man, which most of us are. 95% of us are. I mean, man, some of my teammates, hitters, a Marcus Simeon that just finished third in the MVP, that man would go home 
and watch video on his iPad of the pitcher the next day and then get to the field the next day and start watching more film on that guy. And, you know, they're just laser foot. Like Marcus Simeon has three kids. He doesn't have enough time to think about some of the stuff that I'm thinking of. And I'm starting to figure that out that I barely have enough time. Right. So, <laughs> you know, like I touched on it earlier, this window of, of making money in professional sports is hopefully 10 years, most of the time, not even. So, man, if you can really just crack down and be laser focused on, all right, I'm, how do I maximize my value right now at competing at the highest level of a sport? It's kind of hard to focus on some of these other things that we've talked about today. Do you feel like you're trying your best to bring other people into that way of thinking or into that community? I mean, I, I'd imagine that, you know, Skyward Financial could take on a couple more partners, especially yeah. if they're in some other different sports. You know, you might pick someone up from football, someone up from soccer, someone up from lacrosse, and then all of a sudden build an entire portfolio that competes with, you know, BOA or might compete with, you know, Goldman or some of these other, you know, institutions that are trying to do the same type of thing because sharing common thoughts and coming from a common background then all of a sudden allows you to educate them in different ways where you can now therefore change the stereotype that so many of us have suffered through. Yeah, really well said and and spot on. I agree. That's that's the dream and, and something that I'll certainly pursue baseball-wise. Financial literacy, I think, is a huge deal among athletes, man. And you know, now with the what is it, NIL, where college kids can make some money off their name and likeness, financial literacy is a big deal. Some of these kids are gonna start making money really early in life. So two more questions. What's your biggest win? What do you characterize as your biggest win? Oh, man. Great question. I mean, the answer is my wife. I know that's a, a, a corny answer for sure. But Dahani, you live the life. You understand how strong and important. Let's I'll rephrase that. You understand how strong of a woman you need and how important having a strong woman is in your life. And now that our son is nine months old, our year this year, Dahani, we spent two months in Florida, two months in Buffalo, and the final two months in Toronto because I played for the Toronto Blue Jays. We couldn't get into Canada because of the border. And my wife is living unknown day to day, where we're going to be, what's going to happen. We get to Toronto. She can't go. So she flies a seven-month home or six-month home, whatever he is at the time, from Buffalo back to Texas. That kid has already been on like 25 flights. Man, to have a strong, independent woman as a professional athlete is just the most important thing that you could possibly have. She's the rock of our family uh, in every way and someone that I can just count on day in and day out. And I know that's cheesy, man, but that is by far my biggest win that I've, I've had in life. All these things that we've talked about today that I have the time to be able to do them, that I can get up and train and then go to the office and help people with their finances and manage 14 accounts and then come home and play with my son and, and have a wife that's happy and excited to see me and not just pissed off handing me a baby. It's just amazing, man. So that, that's my biggest win by far. The strength of a woman. Yeah. That's the greatest win. <laughs> so uh, we always like to end Pathfinders by talking about your meals and deals, what we call um, you know, where you like to celebrate. So which is your favorite celebration of a winning deal or, or favorite place to go for a winning deal? Is it like a, a place, a restaurant, a bar? Is it parties or hanging out with people? What, how do you like to celebrate all the great things that you've done? Man, it's a great question. You know, since the pandemic, I certainly haven't been out and about as much as I would have liked between a pregnant wife and now a newborn. I miss going out and being social, no doubt about it, man. Some of my favorite memories I've had are... I just have an awesome group of buddies between high school and college buddies that have also became friends themselves. 
will come visit me multiple times a year. They'll come to Seattle, Boston. Obviously, anytime I'm in Texas, they'll come, they used to come to LA all the time. I already had a buddy the second the borders were open, come up to Canada. So some of my favorite memories ever. So one was my debut in San Francisco where I pitched well. And then I got a win the first time I pitched in Fenway. And both times I had big groups of people there, friends and family. And to walk out of like a big league stadium and to have, let's say, like 10 people there that are some of your closest family and friends with big smiles on their faces, ready to give them each a hug. And you just go walk to a bar in that city Mm. that we're in. So San Francisco, we went to this Irish bar. And then in Boston, we went to maybe also an Irish bar. And like, those are some of my favorite memories, right? So I just pitched well, you feel like you're on cloud nine because you had success. And then now you're celebrating with your, your best friends and family. So I think it's a, a bar after a baseball win, man, it, it, that would be my favorite. What is it? Meals and deals that I could, that I could ask for. Nothing better than celebrating with friends and family. It's the greatest opportunity to kind of just get grounded and to kind of feel those that really energize you and and build you up the most. So Ross is fantastic. I just want to say thank you for all that you have done and that you will do, because I think so many players like myself, I look up to you, man. I'm going to take some tips from you. (laughs) I'm going to learn where you're putting your money because I'm going to put my money too. Or I might just introduce you to a couple of people because, you know, not to say that 14 clients is not a a lot. I think you need 20, 24 clients. So yeah. Two dozen. Ross, I just want to say thank you again for coming on the show and talking to us about, you know, your unique career and deal making experience. Please remember to rate and review the show. Until next episode, I'm Dahani Jones, and this has been the Pathfinders brought to you by Encerado. <laughs>